welcome back to Firewall. My guest today is Douglas Bigelotti. Um, Doug, who I'll call him, that's what I normally call him, um, has two things that I kind of want to talk about. One is a new novel out called Tom Collins, a slightly crooked novel. But, but even more than that, he, he has a podcast and a newsletter called Books for Men, which is just like, in, intriguing in a lot of ways, both sort of the, the necessity of it and the reality of it. So, Doug, thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. So, so Books for Men, is it like these are the, you know, this is what dudes and their books about like grilling and, and fishing and whatever else? Or is it more the notion of there's this notion that men just don't seem to read at the same rate as women and you wanted to address that in some way. Yeah, I think it's more of the latter for sure. Uh, for me personally, the only the the, the only uh, benchmark for being on the podcast is that a book being on the podcast is that I'm a man, I enjoy it, other men perceivably might like it. Um, do you think, I mean, from, from the data that you've seen, do men and women read it at similar rates or, or are women much bigger readers typically? Well, I think, I think that there's definitely big data to support it, but I think it's I often like to look back just what I call street logic, right? <laughs> Get around a group of guys, around a group of 10 guys, ask them if, who, who's reading what. You'd probably be surprised that a lot of them are going to look at you like, reading? Reading what? And if they are, nine out of 10 times, I find that they're reading nonfiction. And I think that that's pretty much what the data would support too. I don't have it handy, obviously, but I think that it's pretty well known that uh, most men uh, are bigger readers of nonfiction than they are fiction. Uh, there was a really interesting article that I read uh, a couple of years ago on The Guardian about the transition into female dominating the literary fiction spectrum specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, I, 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 so, I, I yeah, so let, let's delve into why, because obviously even if, even if you just have theories that are about as well founded, no one's going to be around this, which is one, if men don't read at the same rate as women, why did that happen? And two, uh, to the extent that men significantly prefer nonfiction, why is that the case? Well, I think that the, anytime you're reading anything or, or looking at any type of uh, entertain uh, any type of content, right? It's, it's usually created for two reasons, education or entertainment. Mm-hmm. I think that men primarily call it the way that we're wired or what have you. They like that educational piece, like the aspect of they're learning something, right? And I think that that's what really draws them to, to nonfiction as and a is whole. Is that reflected in other entertainment choices that men make, like TV or like, or movies or whatever else? Or do you think it's it's specific to books? That's a that's actually a really good question. Uh, I think that there's also a lot of other forms of media now where young men specifically are get you know getting entertainment, call it video games, call it social media. Right. Uh, but there's things that I'm kind of bullish about with reading specifically that you get from that medium that you just don't get from other mediums. Um, and that's kind of why I started the podcast to say, hey, look, like. I get it. We're leaving the book. We're leaving books in the dark a little bit as we move forward with these other pieces of technology and forms of entertainment. But uh, there's stuff out there that you could you could still read and enjoy. Yeah. And so I guess the question is, are we um, inadvertently sort of encouraging young men to not be readers? And is that then turning into their habits? I'll give you, you know, my kids are 17 and, and about turned 15. And my daughter is a huge reader. My son, um, I mean, does all his schoolwork but otherwise doesn't read at all. And I'm not, maybe he's just, because I'm such a huge reader, he's just sort of rebelling a little bit. It could, it could be that. But also maybe it's just the, the point that you said, which is it, normatively, 
it's not boys don't consider it something they're supposed to do and if, if, if you don't read as a boy then maybe you're just much, much less likely to read as a man yeah to be honest i don't have you know a, a great answer as to why you know men or boys aren't reading as, as opposed to you know f female you know the female counterparts what i can say is that they you know there's just a lot of other avenues that seem to be taking the forefront for men for whatever reason right and i video games social media uh, are a couple of the two that i've you know everything now is designed for speed and this is just how technology has evolved as you know right this is something that you guys talk a lot about yeah. on, and books just don't fit into that equation and i think i don't know if uh, that is uh, gender related. It doesn't sound like it would be. Um, but if there is something that is biologically different about men, uh, you know, as opposed yeah. to men, women. I, I, mean, I, I would just say this. Here, here's where it would concern me, which is, you know, arguably, you know, reading nonfiction or more likely not reading and playing video games or whatever else probably can help you develop some skills. Like, for example, the military would say, like, yeah, we got the best people we've ever had because they're, they're growing up playing video games, so they're really good at using all of our all of our weapons. Um, but at the same time, if they, some of the underlying conditions for human happiness are basically the way that you relate to other people and feeling fulfilled in the things that you do, you know, those are qualities like empathy, right? And imagination totally. and creativity, which I just think if you were to read a lot of fiction um, be just because you're sort of seeing all these different characters and how they're communicating and their thoughts and their relationships, you internalize that in some level. And I think that gives you a greater ability to do these things. And so I wonder if in the stereotype that sort of encourages boys and men not to read or at least not to read fiction, um, we're undermining their capacity on some level for things like empathy, which then ultimately undermines their happiness. The other thing that I, and I totally agree with uh, everything that you, you just said as far as empathy and, and being able to develop that. One of the hidden benefits that I think reading provides that we've kind of lost, and I think see it as a superpower for a lot of individuals who are able to do this, uh, is delay gratification. So when you read a book, you're waiting for that you're waiting for that good that 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 ending that yeah. sweet spot to happen and you know they're not it's 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 not giving you that instant gratification and if you're able to delay gratification you know if you're able to build that ability to delay gratification i see that as a huge benefit um in other aspects of of one's life or even yeah. or even uh improving focus right like if you're sitting down and you're teaching yourself how to be alone with yourself, how to be able to think critically, think more freely about the ideas. The medium of reading, the form of reading is less reactive. It's uh, more intimate. So when you're reading challenging ideas or things that are differing than your own, it's easier for them to land on you because you have the time to, to for that information or that that character or that idea to really set in and you're not reacting to it, right? Like when you're watching the news, you're reacting. When you're on social media, you're reacting. You're not reacting in the same way when you're reading. Right, and so, I mean, it seems like that, that like you said, speaks to a, a broader societal challenge, which is that um, we not only don't want to like gratification, you know, we are very good at seeking relief for any anxiety or emotion at any given moment which explains a lot of substance abuse and people turning to gambling or porn or internet shopping or social media or whatever it is, of which all of the things that I just listed, there's probably a time and a place for, for most of them. But if 
people now lack the basic ability to sit with any anxiety and discomfort and seek for immediately reach out for relief from it um then you know ultimately that's what develops addictions and that's what develops sort of an inability to kind of process your emotions and and deal with them so i mean do you see this as symptomatic of a greater problem um again i mean i i don't I, I see it as I do see it as a problem. That's the reason why I started the podcast, right? right? Is like, obviously, uh, to me, like I said, it's. It, it, I mean, let me ask you the question. Sure. You, you get around a group of guys. Do you, do you ever talk about books? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I do have. It depends on the friends, right? So, um, I have a group of friends that we have like a book text chain. In part because it's the same group of guys, but with one other guy on the normal text chain who doesn't like to read, and he has to be removed from the books conversation. <laughs> so we have a separate uh, book text chain. Um, so I do, but at the same time, you know, I own a bookstore. I write books. Like I feel like I'm not a great representative sample here uh, of the population as a whole. So. Um, and look, other thing that I like to do is I like to give books to my friends. Uh, and I sort of did that, you know, long before I owned a bookstore, just because if I read something I really like and it hits me that I think a friend of mine might like it, it's bad. And then, look, this is one of the great things about Amazon. It was like a couple clicks later, it's on the way to their house. Um, and so for me, no. Um, but I think that, you know, uh, overall, we're still more likely to talk about um, politics and sports and economics and things like the more hard topics than than sort of not just fiction but just maybe things that are more emotional based i also think that you know to read fiction specifically you know you're taught you're going into i don't want to say uncomfortable areas but you're going into definitely deeper areas and you're, it's not something that you can you can engage with it on a surface level but it's very hard to f people who listen in on conversations when people talk about fiction mm -hmm. It could sometimes be daunting because you're like, I don't know, I just liked it, you know, or, or I don't know, I just, and so it's easy to kind of disengage because there's like a barrier in or that way. Or it forces way. you to have to it be more introspective to explain your reasoning than if you're saying why you think the Knicks should trade for this guy instead of that guy. hundred percent. I mean, with every book, there's, there's two, there's at least two stories, right? There's the story that's happening on the plot level and then there's happening, what's happening beneath the surface, right? And so it's easy sometimes for people to get on to talk about what's happening on a plot level but the good part of every book and at least in my perspective is what's you know what's the subcontext what's happening below the surface and so to engage in that conversation you've really gotta you've gotta you know you've got to read with intention in, in a way you know and it's it's and, and a lot of things are subtle in books right you can it, fiction there's a subtlety to it where nonfiction you could listen to the the podcast that the guy speaks on and you get all the highlights and then you can be in the conversation. It's not like that necessarily with a book. Even when you listen to an author, a uh, fiction author speak about the book, about their own novel, it, it's hard to talk about your own novel in a way. I mean, you can do it, but it's like, what do we, you know, like it, it, what you said in the novel is in the novel, you know, and you don't want to give away too much about it. And right. so it's, it's, right. it's, it's not, whereas when you're talking about nonfiction, it's like, well, we could talk about ideas all day. Yeah. Look, it, I've avoided it in the little bit of a book tour I've done since my novel came out, uh, avoided any readings kind of for that reason, right? Which it feels awkward and I'm not really sure what I'm conveying and just picking chapter 12, you know, I'm not sure. Whereas, you know, if you just want to have a conversation, I can talk about pretty much anything. Um, do you think the pandemic, Change. I mean, one thing I did notice again, and maybe maybe my relationships 
are not exactly normative because I live here in this little bubble of New York City. But like, I felt like men became more open and vulnerable with each other uh, in the pandemic than before that, simply because the, just the need for that sort of level of human contact and reassurance was so much greater. I certainly found that with my friends. Did, did you find that? Yeah, I mean, I think that the pandemic exposed a lot of things, right? I mean, I think at its core, uh, anytime you're forced, I don't want to, I don't want to use the analogy, but I will anyway. If you're sitting in a prison cell, you're going to think about a lot of things that you wouldn't if you weren't sitting inside a prison cell. And so when you're forced to be in the confines of a certain area, I think that it's going to make you you have no choice but to sit with yourself and sit with your thoughts. And so what do you do with those? You're going to dispose them to the people that are around you and potentially make you more willing to, to share. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a causal thing, right? Uh, I mean, I, I would think so. So let's talk about your own reading and writing. Um, it, you're, you have a day job, right? You're not, sure. you're not a, a novelist that just makes all of your money simply by doing that. Um, nor do I imagine that you make your pay your bills off the podcast. Um, so how do you divide your time between sort of the, all of your life? How much reading do you do? What do you typically read? How do you find time to write? And then let's kind of get into the novel. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I mean, my day is I'm a, I'm a routine based guy. I wake up very early in the morning. So, so most of my writing is what, what's very early four four thirty. Oh, that is early. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I write early, early, early. Uh, I'm a big believer that brain, you know, your brain power decreases as the day goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to do that in the morning uh so that way i feel like i've done what i feel like i've i've done what i had to do even if my day gets busy and there's things that come that aren't my creative work then at least i i check that off the box so and i've been writing consistently on a daily basis and this is no no smoke not blowing smoke uh, probably every day for the last seven or eight years and how how long do you write for uh i don't have a uh, I do not ha- put myself to a word count. I do not put okay. myself to a um, uh, a time limit. Uh, but on, I mean, of the books that I have published, uh, I also have other work that isn't, and that's just because of the volume at which I write by. I mean, I have multiple. I have two or three projects that are complete at this point that are just aren't out, are out yet. So and I mean, so I first write. Is, so while you may not use a word count or a timer, if you just had to. There's still some average, right? There's always numbers, and therefore they always divide it to something else. Um, do you think like that you're writing typically a couple of hundred words? And also, part of the reason I'm asking is, is it is it different based on what you're writing? I mean, there are times where you get, you know, maybe you're going to write three sentences over the course of an hour because it is something that is just so complicated to work out, whereas dialogue can just, I find in my writing, I can fly through dialogue. Like, in fact, when I was writing, obviously, in hindsight, uh, I had to use sort of blocks and like if I had a half an hour between meetings at the office, I, I had to use it to write to get it done. And I found that I couldn't like do any deep thinking about the characters um, in those periods of time, but I could write some dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, writing nonfiction is uh, a lot easier than writing fiction. Sure. Just because when I'm writing nonfiction, the last book that I just finished, it's actually a book on story craft, believe it or not. Um, and that's basically like I'm just talking to the reader. So I'm literally just listening to the internal voice in my head as I'm writing. And I'm sure it's similar for yeah, you. Sure. Um, and so it's easy. The words just kind of fall out. When you're writing fiction, or at least from my perspective, uh, you're, you, that happens if, 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 you're, if you're 
if you're pulling the words, not pushing them, then they usually come out a little bit easier, right? But I mean, uh, the other way around, excuse me, but the, so you want it to just flow, right? Like, but at the end of the day, then that needs to be refined. And so what ends up coming out initially is not even close to what ends up being the final word on the page. And I think yeah. that that's why it just takes so much longer. Uh, with that being said, I think that at least for me, I still try to get rid of that voice in my head when I'm drafting anything and say, nobody has to see this. Nobody is gonna see it. Right. Every writer that's ever written everything in their entire life wrote a first draft of whatever they're writing and it was terrible. Yeah, I, I tend to sort of just spill out onto the page whatever's in my head knowing that, I guess I'm not that worried about sort of the unseen person reading it, knowing that I can edit a lot of it out. But what I do find is, the voice in my head sounds too much like me. And one area where I certainly struggled a lot in fiction, which ha hasn't been an issue for me writing nonfiction, is I think my characters kind of all sound the same. Yeah, right. Um, that's interesting. So, I mean, I, I, I kind of look to, at least with fiction, you know, I'm really, I look at a lot of screenwriters. So a lot of the people that I've learned how to write fiction from, or at least from a story perspective, it's been people like David Mamet, Aaron Sorkin, reading uh, the works of theirs, Aristotle, uh, you know, poetics. Well, he had something is on a Netflix big... recently, right? Who? Aristotle. Did he? I was kidding. Uh, oh, no, I didn't know if they did it in the data. You just threw him in there with like Sorkin and Mamet. Well, now, well, so like, well yeah. it's because Sorkin and Mamet are all, they're all, uh, it all started with Aristotle. So they're all very, right. very Aristotle poetics. I mean, so right. the nonfiction book that I'm finishing up right now is actually called Aristotle for Novelists. And it actually adapts poetics for, not for, for novelists, because I, it's traditionally utilized in drama, not in, not in writing right. fiction. So what are fiction writers, what should they understand about Aristotle if they don't know? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot, right? I mean, just just the general consensus. So, just the just okay. So here's one of Aristotle's most controversial, probably most controversial ideas, at least for the fiction writer. Okay. What's more important, plot or character, to you? You're supposed to say character, and I bet Aristotle's going to say plot. 100. percent He says plot because yeah. a character not in motion, like a char character's. If a character, as soon as a character goes in motion, all of a sudden now they're engaged in the plot. And so a character that does nothing is a, is a boring story, right? And so the whole, a plot, all a plot needs to be to be a working plot is a character that makes a change from good fortune to bad fortune, bad fortune to good fortune, and a continuous chain of causality that is a series of connected events right. where, where the first point is a direct reflection of the second point. So those are the three conditions. The change in the protagonist, yeah. good to bad, the continuous chain of events, which direct, you know, which is your chain of causality. Most most fiction authors uh, understand it that with a beginning, middle, and end. So a beginning point and an end point. But the whole key, and this is where this is where it gets a little tricky. But it's 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 the thing that most screenwriters know is that that chain of causality has to reflect the the change in the protagonist has to be directly caused by the chain of events that occurs in the novel. So it can't, you know, so those three things have to work together. And that's, you know, that's fund fundamental to- So how far us. along are you on that project? It's done, it's 40,000 words, it's done, it's short, it's so a short book. So what will it, do you have a sense of what, when it's gonna come out, what are you gonna do? Uh, no, but it, it's gonna be very easy to read because it's gonna, it's 13 essential principles. So it goes to the 13 essential principles and breaks it down, um, you know, so it's, it's uh, I, I don't have a, a direct, uh, I don't have a, uh, 
a release date or anything for that yet, but um, it's it's imminent. It's coming. So let's talk about the novel you just wrote, uh, Tom Connell's slightly crooked novel. What's it about? Yeah, so it's actually, like I said, most novels are to me they're on two. You know, you can look at them on two in in two different ways. You have the plot, and then you have what's happening below. So on the on on the on the top on like the top level. So what's the plot? It's very very simple. Uh, middle there was a 30 something 30 something year old guy out with a buddy uh, sleeps with an older woman five days later he's at a work event he wins an award from his new boss simultaneously as he wins an award from his new boss he realizes that the woman that he slept with five days earlier was his new boss's wife so in conjunction (laughs) but in conjunction with that the in conjunction with that he had uh, they all have to go on a trip to, you know, a weekend trip because that's part of the award that he got wins. It. And then he's got where do they go? Uh, Golden Beach, Florida. It's his beach house in Golden Beach, Florida, which is a little north of Miami. Oh, he's like even staying together in their house. Oh, they're staying together and everything. Yeah, but then the subcontact. But but that's really just a vessel for a much bigger idea in consumption versus creation. So Christian, the lead character, starts off. He wants to be recognized for the work that he's doing. And by the end of the novel, he realizes he recognizes something inside of himself, which potentially is even better than, you know, than the thing that he wanted to be recognized before. So that's kind of his change in his arc. But it really, on, on a thematical level, it's about consumption versus creation. And do you, um, did you feel e- either direction, the need to either have things resolve well for all the characters or poorly or... Like, and did you know how the novel was going to end when you started writing it? Or, or do you figure it out as you go along? Um, so I, I use, again, so going back to what I was saying before about following kind of screenwriters, I use three-act structure. Uh, so act one, act two, act three, midpoint. Um, I know based on the arc, whether I'm telling a tragedy or a comedy, how it's going to move. And the other two novels that I have in, in, the, in the bank right now that mm-hmm. I haven't done structure, you know, they're, 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 they're set up on the back end the same way. Um, I don't hold myself to how, uh, the book is, you know, what's going to happen in between those plot points, but I do have those plot points plotted out. And so, you know, you, 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 I'm just working from plot point to plot point to plot point. And it's the greatest piece of writing advice that I, um, ever received. And it was through the reading, uh, David Mamet and it was, you know, he's a screenwriter obviously, but it's, uh, right. What's supposed to happen next. That's it. Like, you know, like whatever is supposed to happen next in this story, just write that. And there are times where you think it's what's going to happen next is in one direction. And then all of a sudden you realize it should be in a different direction. Well, as soon as the characters start talking to each other, their stuff starts happening. (laughs) That shouldn't shouldn't be happening. But the thing is, is like if once you know the character, then it's you're you're embodying that character. And so whatever that character is going to say or going to do they're going to tell you what to do next, right? Like, so it's like, you're just listening to, it's more of a, it's a, it's like. So you're listening to your own subconscious in a way. You're listening to your own subconscious, but you're actually, it's like going back to like Stanislavski, like an actor prepares. It's, you are embodying that character, right? You're embodied as an actor, making like acting in a movie, like a character, they're embodying that character and they're doing what the character would do. For the fiction writer, I look at that and I say, well, this is who the character is. What are they supposed to do based on who they are? Not what does Doug Vigliotti think? Not what does Bradley Tuss think? What do they think? Right. You know, what is, what is, what is Nick DeNavito think? You right. Know? But at the same time, you want to show 
that they're capable of growth and epiphanies and change too. But if I have the three-act structure laid out, I'm confident that the story is going to move in the way that it needs to move and the arc is going to occur. So how I get to those plot points, for me anyway, this is, this is how I do it. Um, I'm confident that that's all going to work itself out, you know, like that because it's I've already I've already got the skeleton of the novel already already baked so, out. Do you find yourself when you're reading, especially fiction, that you're drawn to books that are kind of moving faster and a more plot based? Because that's I definitely am, and I find that there are people who love books where, in my view, nothing ever fucking happens, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't understand what's so good about this. But sometimes, you know, people seem to love that. What's your, what's your preference? For me personally. Um, I, I like lean, terse, um, books that don't waste time. I like things that continue to, to move. With that being said, I love the exception to the rule too. If you can, if you could do the exact opposite of what my preference is right. and, and, and surprise me, then guess what? I'm going to, I'm going to love it because it's like, damn, this, 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 this just flipped me, you know, flip, flip me on end. Yeah, totally. What were the, since we're still relatively early in the new year, um, what are some books that you'd recommend to the audience? What are your favorite books in 2023? Oh, favorite books in 2023. So here's the thing. I don't read, so I read probably, I don't know, anywhere from 60 to 80 books a year. Mm -hmm. uh, with that being said, I read maybe 10 from the current year. So I'm, okay. I go back into... Well, just anything then. Does, yeah, I go back be. into... I'm trying to think. So a novel that I read... Last year, for the first time, came out in the mid-aughts. I just gave this recommendation to a friend yesterday. was City of Thieves by David Benioff. So the person who... Great book. Yeah, phenomenal you, book. You've read that right here. Yeah. Uh, short novel. I'm a big proponent of the short novel. I'm happy to see that the short novel is starting to come back a little bit. Uh, again, that goes, to my, that goes to my preference of things that move fast, things that, um, you know, Pros that moves fast, but plots that move fast. I don't need to be hit over the head at the same time, you know, a, a million times with the same thing to understand what you, you know, yeah. what the author is trying so, to articulate. So, so to when, me. when I wrote the, my first book, The Fixer, I was worried that it was too short, and my editor said, "No one's ever complained that a book isn't long enough." And I was like, "All oh, right, okay, thanks." So there's things that I think are more. Uh, are more beneficial for the publisher and more beneficial for the reader. Things that I think are more beneficial for the publisher, hardcovers, long books, uh, you know, things they could justify price. You know, hardcover, I don't know about you, but I can't stand reading a hardcover. I don't even like reading Kindle. I like reading paperbacks. I think that the Kindle has like home like made all books like homogeneous in a way where like they're all too similar so you don't get that tactile feel it's interesting so i i find a couple of things i i read on everything right so i i do i'm not supposed to admit this as an indie bookstore owner but i, I do read on my kindle quite a bit uh and also hardcover and soft cover um to a certain extent if it's uh non-fiction i actually think i prefer my kindle because I'm more likely to want to highlight stuff and take notes and, and, and write down some of my own thoughts. And I like being able to do all of that, you know, on the app itself. Um, if it's, if it's fiction, um, less of an issue. Although I find myself often, even with fiction highlighting when I'm, when, when I am reading on Kindle, just a sentence or a phrase that I really like, um, simply cause I'm like, Oh, that's a great way to say, uh, whatever it is. I, I, in theory, I would go back and look, I've never, I don't think I ever actually have, but like in theory, I guess I could go back and like look at them. But, um, so yeah, it's a mix. How long do you stick with a book before you decide that, that you're not going to keep reading it? Yeah, so I've changed my tune on this a lot over the years. Now it's 50 to 100 pages. I'll give- What did it used to be? 
the whole thing. Yeah. I used to be a whole thing reader. Now it's just, there's too many books to read. My TBR is massively long. People recommend me books all the time. I want to read them all because I'm like, oh, I like you. And if you tell me this is good, I want to see, I want yeah. to see if I like it. Um, but now it's, you know, I look at books in two, I look at especially fiction in two ways, writing and storytelling. So the writing is how the, how the reader tells a story. The sto story, story and writing, at least in my eyes, are two different skill sets, right? You could be a great storyteller and a poor writer. You could be a great writer and a poor storyteller. I think some people might call that the difference between genre fiction and literary fiction sometimes, right? People rely more on one than the other. Not to say that, you know, you can't be good at both or this is, and this is all just my opinion. But when I'm reading a book, I'm really reading it to, at this point now, I believe that the book is going to, I give the, the, the author the benefit of the doubt that they're going to tell me a good story, but now I'm just reading it on the writing. It's like either I get down with the sensibilities of the author or I don't. And will you always go 50? I do find that sometimes, and maybe this is a, a real flaw on my part, even in the first chapter, I'm like, no, this isn't going to do it for me. And, and I don't even get further than that. Well, I think that... Uh, I think that the, the, the industry now, that's how they evaluate projects. And that's kind of the scary thing, right? Is that there's no such thing as a slow start for a book anymore. Like all books, most books that are come, come out now, it's either fast start or nothing. And so th that becomes like, is, is it nature or is it nurture? Like we're reading all these books that are coming out, but that's also how the industry is filtering yeah. them. So may, may, maybe just in the way we started this podcast, uh, my ability to like gratification is less than I think. Potentially. And you know what? It probably could be for me too, you know? Uh, but I think that you're still probably ahead of the game if your chosen method is reading as opposed to watching TikTok or watching. Yeah. So I don't do you. So I don't actually use social media at all um, simply because I just feel like, so like you, I read 60, 80 books a year and have a, you know, a job and write books and everything else too. And like the ways that I can make that work is I don't go down rabbit holes of stupid shit. Yeah, so I only have I have Instagram. That's the only social media that I have. The problem, to be honest, I wish I didn't have it. Um, I really do keep in contact with people through it. Yeah, that people that I physically just wouldn't. That I call them, you know, maybe second, third order uh, yeah. friends I mean, or acquaintances. Could, so, like, I I feel like I probably have fifty plus people who let's say over a six month period, I'm checking in with even proactively texting, just friends, not, not work stuff, at least once, right? But they all, I mean, look, basically I'm 50, so you know my kids who are, wouldn't be able to do this, but like, they all have a phone number, I can text all of them, they write back. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I mean, I, I think that that's probably an arc for Doug Vigliotti, probably that would be a good arc, right? Like getting to that point, because I, I really don't like calling, talking about the subtext. I don't like the subtext of Instagram. I don't like the subtext of social media. I think, it, I think anything that fundamentally promotes the worst aspects of human behavior, so nudges you into the worst aspects of human behavior yeah. is, 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 a, is wrong, it, you know? And I think that like social media for better or worse, there are good things about it, as I just said, it does connect you know, you do connect with others, be in people that you wouldn't otherwise. But I think, you know, a perfect example of this, okay, not to go off on a tangent here, but I think that this is this is a perfect example. So recently, Instagram introduced that little blue check mark that people can now buy the check mark to for security, yeah. right? But really, people have this blue check mark because they think that it's, you know, they are somebody or, you know, Twitter. yeah, well, Twitter has it, but Instagram has oh, it as well. Right. Yep. But now you could pay nine ninety nine to to, to well, buy it. So that way you buy have it, then you're not anybody. 
But this is my point. So like Instagram could have originally, it would have been a great idea. Like, okay, you have a blue check next to your name. So that way you, you know that you it's a more secure account and this is a legitimate person. But no, they didn't do that initially. What they did was you have people who are important, and I'm using air quotes here, who have the blue check mark. And now we're gonna charge everybody else to be like those people. Right. Not not because we want to, but we're gonna mask behind the idea that it's gonna be a safe, you know, this is this is a more secure version and a more it, safe. It thing. is sort of amazing that the platforms are now realizing they created this totally fucked up world that like prizes and pushes misinformation and lies and vitriol and then to protect you from the world that they created they'll charge you even more money it's 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 like me paying which thank god i don't have to do it but like someone you know not to break into this bookstore uh because they're paying the protection <laughs> money so from fucking you right instagram's a predator in the first place i feel like bradley did you fall behind in your payments to not have people break into the bookstore <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll catch up in a few weeks. <laughs> I feel like, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a huge, I'm really not a huge, I, I'm just not a huge, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of the subtext of, of social media in general. I use it, like I said, Instagram is the only one I have, and it's only because that's where primarily most of the people that I know and want to keep in contact with, you know. Yeah, sure. I never got involved with Twitter. I never, uh, I got rid of Facebook a while ago. I mean, these are, it, to me, they're just time wasters. I, I'm, you know, I like, le I, I kind of live by less is more. And so if you can consolidate to the things that you really, your life to just the things that you really want to do. Um, and, you know, it kind of, <laughs> in a way, it's something that fiction has taught me too, because it's like, the farther you get away from the through line, the less powerful the novel is, or the less pow powerful the story is, the farther you get away from the through line of your life, the less powerful it is, right? And so like all those things become distractions at a certain point. At least that's how I look at it. That's a perfect way to wrap this up. So Doug, how do people find the podcast, your books, just you in general? Yeah, the easiest way is douglasvigliotti.com or if you know, you're interested in books for men, I have, it's on any platform and you can it's, also- I, I enjoy it by the way. Just, oh, I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much. Uh, it, or you can visit booksformen.org. Uh, where you could sign up for the newsletter, which is, you know, just basically a wrap, um, a, uh, of course, we're, I got to give you the, the, the one line pitch at the end here. And I'm, uh, I'm stumbling on my words. It's just a uh, wrap up of all the monthly episodes, you know, with full book yeah. information and all the, all, all that good stuff. But in a sense, to answer your question, Either my website, douglasfigliati.com, or booksformen.org. You'll find anything that you need to know about me. Cool. That's Vigliati. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Firewall is recorded at my bookstore, P&T Knitwear, located at 180 Orchard Street on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. We'd love to hear from you with questions, feedbacks, or ideas for a guest. Just email me at bradley at firewall.media or find me on LinkedIn. And to keep up with what's on my mind and my latest writing, please follow my new substack at bradleytust.substack.com. Thanks again for listening.